Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Barrier. And today, folks, I am going to do something that's going to be a slightly uncomfortable. And you just have to buckle up and pay attention because we're getting ready to get into some raw, raw shit. Um, so recently, well, let me take you back a little bit. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the journey that I've been on. Um, So for those of you that don't maybe haven't listened to the show before, I'm going to let you have a little bit of peek. I'll let you have a peek into my life and how I'm going to tell you my story today. And it is, you know, it's, it is what it is. It, you know, it's my story and, you know, it's hard to say what made me decide to do this today, um, but I think we'll get into that. Anyhow, so I am, you know, I've been sober for a little over thir- approximately 13 and a half years. My sobriety date is August the 12th, 2009. So this the, that's the second time, I believe. It's the second time that I got, I had to get sober, so to speak. That's a lie. That is a damn lie. I'm really damn good at lying. Just Let's just get that out of the way right now. So I have just been through a rough day. And I'll get into that in a moment. But Anyway, you can do the damn calculation. It'll be 14 years in August. And so 14 years in August, and I think this was actually my third time, if I'm being totally truthful with you. But there again, who knows? I could be lying about that. (laughs) So, you know, I had a pretty decent childhood, to be honest with you. Uh, You know, I've lived in, both my parents are normal people, right? My mom was a school teacher. My dad worked in the tobacco industry for several different companies. Um, And, you know, my parents split when I was 12 years old. And that was probably, that was probably the biggest, uh, wasn't the roughest time of my life, but it was pretty damn close to one of the roughest times. And I was in sixth grade and we moved from, you know, Cross Creek Country Club to the other, other side of the track, so to speak. And we didn't live in a bad area, but compared to where we moved from, it was a damn sure a step down. 
And, you know, that was really hard because I lost all of my friends during that time because, you know, you move away and snotty ass friends. They, you know, they don't, you know, they don't vibe with people that move away, I guess. I don't know. But uh, I remember, and you can actually go to my book and, and you can read about this story. I was in sixth grade and I was made fun of. I was called fat. Well, I really wasn't called fat. These three girls, the cutest girls in the whole school, uh, were sitting at the end of the pool. And and I was fat. I'm just going to tell you that right now. I was a fat little chunky kid. And they asked me to jump off the diving board. And they asked me to jump off the diving board the first time. Of course, I thought they thought I was cute. They did it the second time. I was like, ooh, I'm definitely hot shit. But then I get up and I got up on the diving board that third time. And I jumped up and down like I did the first two times. And, you know, my tits jumped up and down, bounced up and down because I was fat. And so I was walking back to the diving board again, and they asked me if I needed a training bra. Actually, I said that out of order. The third time I was walking back to the to the diving board, they asked me if I had ever thought about wearing a training bra in front of everybody. And you can imagine how humiliating that was because, well, I mean, I think that'd be humiliate, humiliating for anybody. And so that kind of started me on a path of better health, for sure. Um, I lost that weight that summer. Going into my seventh grade year, I was pretty thin. I was much thinner than I was. And so I really thought that I was going to have a pretty good, I thought I was going to get a lot of great feedback. Well, you, we were going to junior high, so you got mixed schools and all that shit. So nobody knew anybody. And so it wasn't quite the standing ovation that I thought. Now, I've always had an ego. I've always been prideful. I've always, you know, that's just, I don't know, dude. I, I don't really know how to explain that other than it is what it is. And so, but that's when I started getting in trouble. Um, that's when I started drinking. That's when I started doing shit I wasn't supposed to, skipping school, whatever. Well, I mean, I got a girlfriend as I went into high school. When I turned 16, once again, things kind of took a turn for the worst. I was driving up Highway 89 in Mount Airy, North Carolina, and I hydroplane. Of course, I was driving 90 miles an hour, so that certainly didn't help matters. And the one, the girl that my girlfriend at the time that was in my vehicle, uh, she got thrown 85 feet out of my car. I my, well, I had a little truck and she, and nobody, they didn't even know she was in the wreck. But a, but a, a tractor and trailer had to jackknife to miss running over her. It just crushed her foot in, I don't even know how many places, but she, I think she wound up having well over 10 surgeries on that foot, cracked her head open. Um, not good. She was in a coma for eight days and. The lady that I hit head on was in a coma for six days, I believe. And so I was not drinking, but I was speeding. My first cousin gave me a ticket for a DUI at 16 years old. Now, the reason he gave me a ticket for the DUI is because I had 
pina colada spray inside of my vehicle because I smoked cigarettes. And the deal was I would quit smoking cigarettes if they would let me get my license. Well, I failed on that promise. Immediately when I got my license, I stopped by the store and bought cigarettes. Immediately. But, you know, look, the story uh, of a lot of my life as I do shit that I'm not supposed to do. I break the rules. And I don't ever think I'm going to get caught. Well, that's not true now. I definitely know that. I definitely know that's not true now. And so that was needless to say, that was a really that was a that was a tough time. Her dad, this girl's dad, was a preacher who I had sold a nine millimeter to. I don't know, some let's call it a few months prior to that. The next time I went to their house, rightfully so. The her mom said, if you come back on this property, I'm gonna take that gun that you sold my husband and I'm gonna blow your fucking brains out. And she was a fucking psychopath. So, you know, I can't say I, I blame her for being upset. It was on the front page of the paper that I had a DUI. The wreck was horrendous. I wish I still had those pictures. I'm maybe somewhere, but I don't know where they would be. But it was horrendous. And I got out with a scratch on my head, on the back of my head. In fact, the girl that was with me has the scratch in the same exact spot. And my elbow was a little bit sore. She was in a coma for eight days. And and that's kind of been, you know, throughout my life, you you know, I I haven't suffered. I, mean, I have suffered consequences, but not like that, right? I, I don't usually get the worst of the worst. I don't usually get the shit into the stick. Or maybe I just, just assume responsibility. I'm not really sure. So as we were, you know, we were, you know, trying to still see each other. Um, that's when I, uh, we lost our virginity. And Things kind of just fell apart after that with her and I, naturally. And I moved. I had already moved high schools to her high school because I wanted to be near her school. Right, I wanted to be near her. It was like halfway through my 11th grade year. And so, I don't know, quarter of the way through my 12th grade year, I'd already skipped so many damn days that I wasn't going to graduate. I mean, I was a really shit-ass kid. Um, I really did just about everything that you could do wrong. By the way, I also burned a barn down when I was 10 years old, straight to the ground on the golf course. And I got caught stealing when I was five. So you can imagine how many ass beatings I got as a kid. It was pretty much every single week. And... You know, I've just always done things. I've always pushed the limit on everything I've ever done, whether it be work, whether it be drugs, whether it be alcohol, whether it be, you know, cake. It doesn't really matter. I'm just going to do it until it stops working or till I just get sick, right? And drugs had not entered at this time. But... I, you know, so I missed so many days at school. My dad, fortunately, had 
you know, my dad and my mom got me out of a lot of shit. I don't know if that was the best thing, but this time it was probably the best thing. And my, um, my, my dad called the principal at Mount Airy High School because I was at North Surrey High School and got me transferred back over to Mount Airy High School so I could finish the year out and graduate. And by the way, I did finish with straight A's and one B. It's the only time since sixth grade that I've had straight A's and one B. And then I did graduate and I was seeing this girl and we had been dating for a while. I, my timeline might be a little bit off, but either way, she went off to college at UNC Charlotte and I went to work with my dad on the tobacco market. My dad was the vice president of Standard Commercial Tobacco and he got me a job. And that is when my alcohol and no, by no means am I blaming this on my dad. I 100% probably was an alcoholic before I ever got there. But that's for sure where my alcohol took off. Because in the tobacco industry at that time, at five o'clock every day, you all meet in this hospitality room and you drink and you cook together. And it's like a, it's kind of like a brotherhood. It's all men. And so we would be out of town to in Danville, Virginia or Kentucky or wherever. Uh, usually, you know, half the season is flu cure tobacco and the other half is Burley tobacco. So Kentucky, Tennessee's Burley, North Carolina, South Carolina's flu cure. And so I learned how to follow sale, like the auctioneer. And I had to learn. Um, I had to learn all these damn, like, I don't even know what you call it now, call signs or, you know, you had to, if you're watching this video, then you'll understand what I'm saying. But essentially it's the auctioneer and you, it's like holding the paddle up, except for I had to remember a whole list of different types of tobacco. And if you bid the wrong number, it would cost you a fortune, not me personally, but it would cost the company a fortune because I don't, I actually don't remember I actually do remember. I remember one specifically. It was called, we called it Dog 85. It means it was 80, I think it was $85 a pound. I think that sounds ridiculous. 85 cents a pound. $85 a pound. Jesus. So 85 cents a pound, I believe that's right. And so this particular tobacco was used for cigars and it was this, it had mold or it had, yeah, mold in it basically. And so it wasn't salvageable and they called it dog 85 because it was a, it was like a sh old dark, dusty dog, I guess. I don't know why they called it that, but I'll never forget it. And that was one of the coolest experiences, you know, that I'd had. I worked six months out of the year and I got paid, you know, I was 30, I was 18 years old getting paid $35,000 a year. And that was like, you know, Jesus, now it's 20 some year, 28 years ago or something. So I don't know what that equates to now, but it was great. It was a great money, right? It was really great money. But I was, you know, I I wanted to be with my girlfriend at the time. So I decided to make it known that I would rather go to school. And I had a run-in with one of the other sales guys. I wasn't a sales guy. I was like the damn gopher. And then I also followed sale as a trainee. And so this guy asked me to pick up cigarette butts out of the yard. 
And I thought I was too good for that shit. I was like, I'm not picking up these fucking cigarette butts. Like, talking about. Like, so, you know, I didn't really understand my place, obviously, at that time. Uh, you all, you know, if you're the damn trainee, just do whatever they tell you to do. But I, I was egotistical, right? My dad was the vice president. I was a shithead. I'm sure of it. And so they decided to allow me to go back to school. Essentially gave me my walking papers. And it is what it is. I was okay with that at the time. I was I was actually thrilled because then I moved to Charlotte and got alcohol poisoning the very next day. God's honest truth. The night I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, it was the night I moved there. We got, we drank a bunch of Franzia wine. Don't ask me why, probably because we didn't have any money. And I got alcohol poisoned. I had to go back to Mount Airy and lay in a bathtub for like three days. It was, it was pretty, it was rough. This episode of the Successful Life Podcast is brought to you by House Call Pro. Whether you're looking to streamline your operations, reduce paperwork, or boost revenue, House Call Pro is your all-in-one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. It was one of the roughest times I've ever been sick, to be perfectly honest with you. And, of course, I cheated on my girlfriend that same damn night that I moved down there with. We didn't live together, but she lived in the same, you know, not far from me. So, dude, I started this whole thing out completely wrong. And, you know, we wound up breaking up, naturally. And I had three roommates. We lived in a brand new, like, never lived in. These four, like a quad, like townhouse. And it was super dope. And it was nice as shit. And I was on top of the world. But I was an alcoholic and quickly becoming a drug addict. And so we would go out and eat ecstasy. We would go out and, you know, we would go to this place called Midnight Till Six. So it was literally open from 12 to 6. And all the strippers went there and you could always find drugs there. And that's what we did every weekend. We went and rolled our ass off with strippers and raver type people. And I'll be honest, it was a lot of fun. And we we really did have a lot of fun. And so I left there. I had a friend, I won't mention his name, but I had a friend that was um, the senator, John Edwards. He was a senator at the time was his right-hand man. And he was my buddy. We used to blow coke together. Not John Edwards, but his buddy, his right-hand man. And so things were kind of dwindling down for me in Charlotte, North Carolina. I had gotten two DWIs literally back-to-back, meaning within 30 days. Actually, it was exactly 30 days apart. And it was by the same damn cop. And what's ironic is I was supposed to be in court that morning that he stopped me the second time. And so he knew exactly who I was when he pulled over. And I was nowhere near where I got pulled over the time before. And I wasn't even in my car. So it wasn't like it was playing, but he knew who I was for sure. And so I lost my license for eight years. 
And things were not looking so hot for me at that point. Like I was really in a jam. I was selling drugs and like kind of selling drugs. I wasn't really a drug dealer at that time, but I was trying to play like a drug dealer. And I, you know, I didn't get caught at that time. And so my buddy calls me and says, Hey dude, like there's an opportunity. If you and Keith, my buddy want to go to the Republican National Convention, my mentor would like to have you come up there and you're going to sell, you're going to sell memorabilia to the people that are coming to the convention. I'm like, sign me up, dude, let's go. That's great. And so the first one was in Philadelphia. First time I'd ever been to Philadelphia. First time I ever, well, let's just say this. I went to, um, well, I mean, I was telling you, the first time I ever went to a whorehouse, like to be completely transparent with you. Um, and it was, that that shit was bizarre. It was really uncomfortable for me to be in this plain building and like a completely white building. You knock on the door. It's super secretive, naturally, because it's illegal as shit. So anyway, this guy that I was rooming with, he said, hey, why don't you? He's like, I'm going to take you to your first one. I'm like, sign me up, dude. So it was a Chinese place or Asian place, something. And you go in, you knock on the door, they see who you are, they let you in. I don't know if he called before. I don't know how that works. But uh, we went up and like these women just line up. Right, they line up in a line, and you got to pick one of them, and that was really uncomfortable for me. I didn't want to have to hurt anybody's feelings, like you know. But at the same time, I was there for a reason. It was just weird, and it's exactly what you think, right? I mean, you start out giving you a massage, they ask you for fifty bucks, so they can go back and get the condom from the pimp, and or whatever the hell you would call it at that time, and. It was needless to say that was an, a really bizarre experience. But we got out of there alive. Everything was good. Whatever. And so I got my first experience doing that. And then we sold memorabilia. Actually, my buddy was not with me at this time. I was there with another guy that I'm not going to mention his name either because he actually became. I don't know if he was a senator or mayor or some shit after that. And so. <clears throat> it was an interesting time. And so what I did is I sold, we sold buttons to the Democrats that were like, you know, fuck the Republicans. And then we sold the Republican ones to the Republicans that are like, you know, go whoever, go, it was George Bush was who it was. George, was it George W? The first one, I think it was George W both times. Shit, I don't even remember now. Well, Al Gore was on one of them, and then I actually don't even remember. Whoever the hell was in 2000, that's when it was. 2000 is when I went up, and in 2004, one of them was George W. I know that for sure, and I think it was both. So, so I left there, moved back to Mount Airy, went back to Surrey Community, went back to a community college, which I didn't want to do any of that, but I did. Got right back. I moved uh, moved in with my mom, and then I moved out and started selling drugs again in Mount Airy. And so 
what happened, uh, my buddy from Charlotte called me up and said, hey, you know, I was kind of at my rope, at the end of my rope. I, was, I can't remember what all had been happening. He said, why don't you just move to Vegas? I'm like, hell, that sounds like a great idea. I got, you know, I got four ounces of cocaine operating with me. Let's, let, let's do it. He was like, well, book a train. That way, you know, because I didn't have any money, I guess. And so I did. I immediately booked a train. And I booked it for the next day, called my mom, moving to Vegas, peace out. And so I went to the train station with a bunch of vodka, a bunch of blow. And here's how bright I am. I strapped that blow to the inside of my leg with um, duct tape. All right, so the whole reason I did that was because I thought I was about to go through a metal detector, which is ridiculous because it's a damn train. But I'd never been on a train so I didn't really know how this whole thing worked. Needless to say, I didn't go through a damn metal detector. And if I had, a, that tape would have went off because it was duct tape. It has like metal in it. Genius. The second, the next thing that I'll tell you is I, I bought a seat on the train. Now, this train was a five-day trip to Needles, California. And that was... You know, I didn't know to get a sleeper car. I I never bought a train ticket. I had no idea. So I was in a seat for five days straight. And I'll just tell you that train ride was a damn train wreck. I did make some friends on there. And we did some blow. And we drank. And we had fun. But then one night, I woke up. And the train wasn't moving. And it was pitch freaking dark. Completely dark. I'm like, what the hell's going on? Actually, that's when we started doing the blow. So I went back to where they smoke on the train because I smoked. And they're like, yeah, they had to stop the train because either it was losing power or something. And they had to drop cars off. Like they had to let cars off so the train could keep moving. Which is kind of odd. And not super, you know, I wasn't super confident in the train at that point. But what are you going to do? So we get to Neal's, California. And I had to get a get in a van because the train does not run through Las Vegas. So I had to get on a van from Needles, California to Las Vegas, Nevada. And I moved in with my buddy Chris and my buddy and, my, and his fiance, Kelly. And they partied, obviously. They were excited I was coming. And you know, it was it was dope, right? We had our we had a, a movie. Ocean's Eleven was being shot at that time. And so we were extras in Ocean's Eleven. And I'll just tell you, that is the boringest job you've ever done in your freaking life. Especially if you're alcoholic, because you need to drink. It was, it sucked, dude. You just stood there for 12 hours doing damn nothing. But I will tell you, I was in a scene with Matt Damon. They cut it, obviously. I didn't think they were going to cut. I, I was like, damn, like this is this is like super cool. And he was like less than six feet from me. And I was playing on a, a slot machine and he was talking to somebody. And so that lasted all of about, I think we stayed about two weeks doing that. And I was miserable. He was miserable, right? I mean, yeah, dude. Like, it, anyway, it sucked. It absolutely sucked. And so, we quit and went to the bar. 
And I remember we used to buy this buy weed from this dude named Just James. I don't, I don't know why I remember that, but it's just a weird name. And so we ran out of blow. And the guy upstairs, no, 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 that's the wrong apartment. I'm getting there. So, so my buddy and I, uh, I got some meth, right? I'd never really done meth ever, but I got some meth because I got a job at this call center where we were robo dialing. Like you had a hit, like you would just auto dial people. And it was a complete damn scam. It was a total, total scam. I didn't know that at the time. I just knew they were paying me good damn money to make phone calls. And it was like boiler room in that, in that damn, uh, in that call center. It was, I mean, this guy, I would never forget this dude. I don't remember his name, but he would come in, jack, I mean, just testosterone, just his damn veins and face was red and he was just bulging. And he would just rip your ass apart every single day. He would rip our whole group's ass apart. And I mean, these guys were ruthless. It was unreal. And what I didn't realize, I, I guess, you know, I should have realized after they changed the name three damn times while I was there, I should have picked up on there something fishy going on here, but I didn't care because I was making money. And so what we were doing is we were calling companies and we were switching their phone lines. This is when we had normal phones. And what would happen is we had to get a certain commitment. It had to be barely a yes. I don't remember exactly the, the, the parameters of it, but there was a way for us to, to, well, we were, okay. So the way we got people is it was, you know, this was the time, if you're my age, 45 or around my age, when AT&T would call your house and say, it's five cents a minute or whatever the number was. So what we did is we said five cents per call unit. The difference is there was like a hundred call units in a minute. And whenever we got somebody's phone line switched over, I found all this out afterwards or towards the end. It, they could, it would take them six months to get out of it. And you're a small business. You got to have that phone number. Like I'm sure they target the exact people that had phone numbers for a while. And so it was a total it was a total scam. It was a total scam. And so it would cause people to, you know, God only knows how much money they siphoned out of people. And it was rough. And so I, so my two friends that I went to Vegas to live with, the girl did not want me and her boyfriend, her, her fiance, messing with crystal meth. And so she kicked our both of our asses out, kicked us come right out. And so we moved in. We had to go stay with this big, fat nine, um, 900 number. Like, woman, disgusting. The house was disgusting. She was disgusting. He was disgusting. And so. My buddy said, hey, let's move to Mexico. Fuck it. Let's go. I'm like, there's zero chance I'm moving to Mexico with you or anybody. So we'll just scoot on down to Tijuana. I'm like, absolutely not. 
I mean, I'm from Mayberry. Like, I'm not going to fucking Tijuana. And so I said, dude, you need to go back to your damn fiance. I'll figure my shit out. Now, I worked with this big fat woman. Oh, she was so nasty. She smelled. Her fucking house was so filthy. I I remember how low I felt at that time. It was the lowest I probably, I don't know about now, but it was definitely one of the lowest times of my life. So let me speed this up a little bit. So we, um, so I went and fortunately got out of there. I found another guy that I worked with at that same crazy call center. And I moved in with him and his crazy girlfriend. They were from Ohio. And, and I, you know, up until not like last year around this time, I was terrified of snakes. And this damn dude who didn't have all his teeth, who they were both just redneck as hell, had, uh, I think it was a python or a boa constrictor or something in a damn cage in the room I had to sleep in. And like, there wasn't like I was going to come in and make demands. I That was where the damn snake slept. And so I would have to come in at night. This is how terrified I was of that damn snake. I would come in at night. And I would take clothes and I would just throw them, right? I would all the way across the room until I until I buried that damn snake with clothes, so I didn't have to look at it because I it was terrifying. And so, as things progressed on, I met a guy upstairs. He's the only dude I knew from the East Coast, other than my people that I don't talk to anymore. Had never talked to. I actually haven't talked to him since then. Either one of them. And he's like, yeah, let's go upstairs and we'll do a line. I'm like, okay, we're talking now. We go up there and he cranks out this line. And it's crystal meth. And it burnt my nose up. It burnt my nose to a crisp. And so I was not expecting it to feel like shards of glass going up my nose that's exactly what it felt like it was awful and so long story short i wound up sitting on the couch in that guy's room or that guy's apartment which they were disgusting they were all meth heads all of them his nasty ass girlfriend and her their kid that had ringworm in their hair like this like I don't even know, dude. I was in the weirdest spot. And like, you know, I was a preppy kid. I dressed preppy. And so I'm sitting on the couch. Everybody's fucking high. And I'm sitting beside this guy named Ed that doesn't have teeth. And then a guy named Stormy, he also don't have teeth. They're both tatted up. Stormy stinks. Ed's nasty. But they know each other from maximum security prison. Now, keep in mind from me, Barry, and I'm sitting between these two dudes, and we're watching television. Five o'clock news comes on. Them two motherfuckers are on the five o'clock news for robbing a casino. Now, I already knew Stormy. He had a magic key, literally, that would jump, that he could, he called it a G-ride, right? Grand Theft Auto. He would steal a Saturn. Wherever he went, he could just take this damn key. And still, whoever Saturn it is, didn't matter who it was. And it's the damnest thing I've ever seen. We would go, like, I wouldn't steal the cars, but I certainly rode in one of the stolen cars. 
to go get dope. So anyway, we were sitting there. They, so they come on the five o'clock news and they just robbed a casino the night before. I almost shit myself. I literally froze. I didn't know what to do. And nobody said anything about it. The two of them didn't say anything about it. Ian, the other guy, didn't say anything about it. I'm thinking like, I sure as hell ain't going to say anything about it. And so they get up and leave. They being Stormy and Ed. And so Ian looks at me, cracked out, and he's like, I'm not so sure why you're still here. He's like, the fact that those two guys walked out of here and didn't kill your ass is beyond me. And I agreed with him. I, I don't know why they didn't kill me either. It was just, it was the strangest shit I've ever seen in my life. And... <laughs> <laughs> so Ian gets locked up and all the paraphernalia is in that apartment upstairs from where I'm living and so so Ian calls me from jail he's like I need you to go get this rig or whatever it was they had a meth lab inside of that apartment he was like I need you to go get that stuff out because I think the cops are coming. I'm like, you've lost your fucking mind. I'm not about to go anywhere near that damn apartment. About that time, somebody stole his shoes uh, in the Clark County Jail, which is supposed to be one of the worst you can go to. I never got a chance to visit, thank God. And I don't ever know what happened to Ian. Who knows, But or any of them, for that matter, because I didn't see a single one of them after that day. Well, um, that's a lie. I did see them. I saw one more time after that. We went up to Ed had a room at one of the damn casinos. And so I had gotten paid on Friday and Ed said, look, I'm going to go over. I'm so stupid, dude. He was like, look, I need to make $800. Let me borrow $800. I'm going to go over here and uh, I'll be, I'll be, I'll make it right back. Well, I mean, come on, dude. Like that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of anybody Allowing somebody to do with their money. So I called my dad and lied and said that I got jumped. And my dad knew I didn't get jumped. He knew I was fucked up. He said, all right, dude, I'm going to put money in your account. And if you don't make it to the airport, I will pick your fucking ass up. And I'll drive to Las Vegas my damn self and pick you up. He's like, and you don't want me to do that. So I was on that plane. Now, at this time, actually, oh, I forgot about this part. Well, I won't go into detail, but I stayed up for seven days on that mess. I was completely delirious. Um, I had left the I had left the call center and I was working at a different place, but obviously I'd quit that by then. And so I'm hanging out with Ian and his nasty fucking kid. I don't know where that girl went. Um, he did get out of he he must have went to jail after that. I think I'm getting parts of the story mixed up. But either way, he went to jail towards the end. So we were stuck in this. Um, we were stuck in this. This hotel, this nasty fucking hotel. With a bunch of dope people, a bunch of dope addicts. And, and he was dope. Like he was, when I say dope, like meth. That's what they call it out there, D. And so he. He was detoxing because he couldn't find any dope. 
And I, you know, I was fucking not real happy either, but he'd been up forever and he slept for like, I mean, days, son. Like it was, it was rough for him. And so, long story short, that's what I called my dad and said, come pick me up. I made it back to my dad's here in North Carolina. And I cleaned up, got a job, all that shit at the golf course, whatever. And then moved to Raleigh when I got my license back. But here's the key. I got my license back for one day. So what happened is my attorney in Charlotte tried my second DUI first. And then he tried my second one. Oh, no, my first one, second. And the reason he did that was because I had two first offense DUIs, not a second offense because I was going to prison or jail or whatever, if I would have gotten two DUIs that closely back to back and if it was a second offense. So what happened with my license is they gave me my license back. I went through all the school. In fact, when I was going through that school, 9-11 hit. I'll never forget my dad picking me up and being like, hey, you see the Twin Towers? I'm like, I don't know. nope. I didn't really know what was going on. And so I moved to Raleigh. Uh, so they yanked my license back. I had it for a day, and then I get a damn letter in the mail saying, uh-uh, no, 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 you got four more years. Sorry. Or maybe it was eight more years. It was eight years. Um, Because I thought I'd lost you know, four more years. I don't fucking, I don't remember. But it was eight years total. And so my dad had bought me a car. I was doing good. And I moved to Raleigh anyway. And I was driving. And it is what it is. And that's when... I started deal- selling drugs here in Raleigh. Selling Coke, doing Coke. When I was hustling, and I did that for a little while, and I made a whole bunch of money. And until one day it didn't work out, right? One day I got caught, and the rest is the rest is history. I have not touched cocaine since then. And I had to go to a six-month rehab. It was inpatient. Is really just a work camp is what it was with a bunch of crazy Pentecostal holiness people that talks in tongues and all kinds of weird shit. And like I was there court ordered and y'all seen me, you know what I look like. I, I'm not really your, you know, I don't have calluses on my hands. It's not like I've done a bunch of hard labor in my life. Well, this place you had to cut up um, pallets. So they would go pick up free pallets from places with pig guts on them and pig shit on them and just nasty shit. You have to spray them off, break them down, rebuild them. There were stations, blah, blah, blah. Not my cup of tea either. But I was court ordered and they knew I was court ordered. And court ordered people get treated a little bit differently than volunteer people. Because volunteer people can leave. I could not. So they give you hell if you're court ordered. And so oh, it was a rough time. It was a rough time. And my First wife, who was not my first wife at that time, she was my sort of girlfriend that came to rescue. She would come down every week, bring my stuff, and, you know, I got to give it to her. She stuck with me with that. She absolutely did. And it wasn't like we were making, like, I was making zero money, and she was making, like, 30 grand a year. It wasn't nothing. And so it was a struggle for her to come down and, you know, buy me food and whatever. 
And so in order for me to get out of there, I had to, I had to be married, Pentecostal holiness. I don't know if that's a rule with them or just a rule with the church or what, but we got married. I was like, I ain't staying this motherfucker one more second. So I got married against my better will, but I didn't have a driver's license, right? She had all my shit where my apartment got, you know, I obviously went to jail when I got caught and she had all my, all my stuff. And I was kind of stuck, right? I, I liked her, right? We were cool. Like, I don't know that we were in love. I probably felt like I was in love. But we got out of that. We 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 got married the day before I was supposed to graduate. So that was on a Saturday, graduate on a Sunday, that Sunday morning church service. First thing we did when we got out of there, went straight to the liquor store. Snorted some Ritalin, went to the liquor store. I mean, like, like if that's not insane, I, I don't know. And... Sure enough, we stayed up all night and almost missed my damn graduation. And you miss that graduation, you're in deep shit. You ain't getting out. And I had no choice but to be at that graduation because I needed out of there. And that was the only way I was getting out. If I'd have missed it, who knows what would have happened. So we moved back to Raleigh. I moved back to Raleigh. And we started our little shitty life together, which was miserable because she was not a nice person. I was not a nice person probably to live with and I couldn't find a job. Um, I really thought, well, you know, I, you know, I had this idea that I was going to be able to go and do mortgages again because that's what I was doing before I got in trouble. Um, I was, so this was before they made you have credentials for, to be a loan officer. So I was doing, I was doing mortgages for lending tree. Wild. I got that job because I sold dope to the guy that owned it. Not not the actual company, Lending Tree. It was a subsidiary or whatever. Well, um, yeah, that was a that was a total train wreck. It was an absolute train wreck, and I think I'm getting some of the story mixed up. Either way, doesn't really matter. It's timeline. Oh, yeah, I did think I was going back into mortgages, but the rules changed while I was gone or something, and I couldn't go back into mortgages. Plus, nobody wanted to hire a convicted felon that just got caught trafficking Schedule 2 cocaine, or maybe it was Schedule 1 or Schedule 3. I don't know what schedule it is, but either way, um, it was a rough time. And so I got a job working. I got a job running. I worked at a GNC. And I got a job running a massage envy. I was the clinic administrator, and it was dope. Like, I mean, it was it, it was cool. Like, it was really, you know, it was cool. Whatever. And I wound up going out to the training. I did not tell them I had a felony. I figured out you probably should not tell them up front. That was just my experience. So I get a call while I'm out in uh, Arizona getting trained. They're like, hey, dude. You kind of forgot to tell us you got caught trafficking cocaine like a year ago. I'm like, yeah, we could talk about that. They're like, yeah, we don't we don't know about this. I'm like, well, look, you already paid for me to come out here for a week to train. We can talk about this when we get back. But I'll be a good employee. And I wasn't a good employee. I wound up screwing this girl that worked for me and her big mouth told everybody. I should have never screwed her. And so my wife. Oh, wait, I left one part out. 
I screwed this other girl while I was on the trip because my wife at the time, she thought I cheated on her everywhere I went. Like she was a she was a little bit nutty and really jealous. And so I had gone through these constant conversations with her, and I literally had never done anything while we were married. I'd never done I didn't cheat on her. Like I I was a loser. I didn't have anything. I didn't have a license. I was just whatever. But when I went to Arizona, the opportunity presented itself and I took it. I took the opportunity. And I remember as good as yesterday. I don't even remember the girl's name, to be honest with you, but we were laying, she ran another massage in New Jersey or somewhere. Um, and she was connected with some kind of damn, I don't remember who it was. But either way, point is, you know, Arizona's beautiful weather. So Scottsdale is where we were. And so this guy, like we left the sliding glass door cracked at night because it's beautiful weather. And I also left the phone off the hook and I didn't bring my phone charger on purpose. And so my wife could not get a hold of me because the room phone was not working and my phone was obviously dead. And so I hear this knock and this girl elbows me and is like, hey, it's a fucking dude standing at our door in like in our door. The maintenance guy or the front desk person. They're like, hey, your phone's off the hook and your wife is called a hundred times. She's trying to get a hold of you. So I knew as soon as I hung that phone up, it was going to ring. So I got my plan together with the girl. She was cool. She didn't say anything. But my wife, dude, you cannot do shit like that. Just FYI, if you're thinking about doing it, it is not going to work out for you. Women know, dude. They know. She knew I was up to absolutely no good. And I was up to no good. And so I lied, of course. And... (laughs) I got back and I kept on talking to this chick. That's damn weird. I don't know her name, but I guess that's probably good. I kept talking to her. And so I got a separate phone line because my wife was tracking the phone numbers and I couldn't have that happen. So needless to say, my wife's pretty suspicious at this point. And she was actually a pretty smart girl, my ex-wife. And so she went and figured out how to get into my email. And so I didn't, you know, I don't know. I didn't know you could do that at the time. I don't, I didn't know shit. And so I kept, I got this message that said, your password has been changed. Or no, it said, yeah, it said your password's been changed or something along those lines. And I'm like, well, what in the world? So I just went and changed it back. I get another email. Password's been changed. I'm like, what the hell's going on with Yahoo at the time? So I don't think that much about it. I'm just like, well, that's kind of weird. It seems odd. It happens again. But this time, she followed up forwarding the emails communication that I'd had with this chick. She just started flooding my inbox with forwarding them from she had forwarded them from my address to hers, and then she forwarded it to my address. So I could see clear as day my email, my ex-wife's email, my you got it. 
And I knew right then, I'm like, oh, shit. I'm in deep shit. I am in, I'm in deep shit. And I was in deep shit. She called and cussed out everybody in the damn place, or at least cussed out the owner and whoever answered the phone, for sure. She did not come inside, thank the Lord. But she did, however, tear all my clothes up. Every single one of my shirts tore them up. They were in a pile in my little area in my office, so to speak, office. It was just extra bedroom. And that was a miserable time. That was a really miserable time. So I had finally gotten my license back. And the minute I got them back, I was out. I bought, a, I had a Jeep, a Grand Cherokee. I had several of those, actually. And I had to go get the blow stick in my car. So if you don't know what the blow stick is, Ignition Interlock is the name of the company. I'm sure plenty of people listen to this podcast. That's exactly what I'm talking about. So I had to have that bad boy in my car for seven years. And if you blow into it the wrong way or after you've been eating or after you've been obviously drinking, it'll go off. And so sometimes certain foods, weird, weird, weird things would set this thing off. The first time I set it off was because I drank, because I had not quit drinking. And this is where the AA story starts. So I went into the the DMV and begged and pleaded and said, you know, lied my, completely lied my face off. She said, look, dude, here's the deal. If I see you back in this office again, you're never going to drive on the roads of North Carolina ever again. And so that was the pivot point for me to make a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of something bigger than me. And so I went, I went that day, I made the decision. I was not going to drink anymore because I had a, I, I could either go left down the road I've been going on, which was a disaster, or I could go right and be successful. And there was no way I could go right and be successful if I didn't have a driver's license. So ultimately, I stopped drinking so I would make damn sure I did not get, I didn't set that blower off. And so so that's when I stopped drinking. And I had tried to stop, I think, before that, but it didn't really work out. And so... I finished out my seven years and with the blow stick, you got to go have it checked every two months. You got to pay a bunch of money. It's a pain in the ass. And they hate you there, right? They, those guys that, that work there, they are, they don't give a shit. Like just come in and get your shit done, pay us our money and get out. Now I'm probably, you know, I, I, I wasn't a pain in the ass for these guys, but I'm sure most people are right. It, I don't know for sure, but I do know for sure. So I went through that seven years on intensive probation and without a driver, without, with the ignition interlock, with the ignition interlock in, excuse me, it, it, with the ignition interlock in my car. And I'm going to be completely honest with you, that ignition interlock probably saved my life 
it certainly saved me from getting behind the wheel of a car ever again while I've been drinking. Uh, in fact, I didn't drink after that. So I, I just knew that I didn't have the ability to stop. So I went to AA. And I wasn't really excited about going to AA, as you can imagine, but I did throw myself into the program and I got a sponsor. I had several sponsors and we worked the steps, the whole nine yards. And ultimately that, you know, AA gave me a life that actually took me out of AA. Um, you know, I went from living on a guy's, in a guy's bedroom, not in his bedroom, but I rented a room with no money because I was watching his dog because I didn't have a job. Oh, yeah, because I got fired from screwing that girl. And so long story short, or longer, whichever you want to look at it, um, All right, ADHD kicking here. I'm yawning like crazy. So, so that's that's when I got sober, and I, you know, I started out like, oh, that's where I was at. I started out renting a room from a guy on Craigslist to eventually just looking after his dogs. I didn't have any money, and so that took me all the way through becoming a master personal trainer, becoming the number one salesperson and trainer in the whole company every single month, but two, the whole almost five years that I was there. And so then I got fired um, for some stupid, well, I, I had gotten divorced and remarried. And so the second marriage went down the tubes as well. And she called my boss and said, hey, Corey's training somewhere else also. And that breaks the terms of her, or our terms of agreement or whatever. And it was a pretty good way. It was almost 20 miles away. So I don't think it was that big a deal, but they did. And so I got fired on December 31st, 2013. And I was actually with Autumn at that time. And we weren't living, we might have been living together then. I don't remember. But Autumn's my wife currently and will continue to be my wife. <laughs> she was a trooper, dude. I mean, I would go from gym to gym to corporate gym. I would go wherever the hell I could find somebody to train. And a lot, I did bring some of my clients with me, but very few because I sold massively big packages. So I'd lock people in for 72 sessions or a hundred sessions at a time because I got a bigger paycheck. Well, that screwed me in the end because everybody's locked into these big contracts, but they're not going to walk away from that. It doesn't matter how much they like me or not. They're not going to walk away from that amount of money because I started $80 an hour. And so I went and started um, my own, I went and started my own business in the studio and I had, you know, we had, I had a personal training business and that was, you know, that was cool. Um, and one of my clients, I won't mention his name either. He's probably not real happy with me, but we decided to open up a brand new UMD, which is my was my med spa. We had testosterone, growth hormone, peptides, vaginal rejuvenation. We had uh, laser hair removal. We had a, 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 
a penis enlarger machine. And it's not really a penis enlarger. It's actually to, to circulate the blood more so you could get hard, actually, is what it was. Needless to say, I didn't touch that one or the vagina one. And we had tattoo removal. It was dope, dude. It was, I thought this was it for me. I thought this was what I was going to do forever. I was a business owner. I was going to AA. I started my own AA meeting in North Raleigh. And it was my meeting. And the way it, you know, the way it turns out is it wound up literally being my meeting. And that's an important fact here because I didn't, I didn't need God anymore. I was God. I had this clinic. It was beautiful. It was in North Hills, which is the one of the most expensive places you can find. I was live like I was the man, right? I was that fucking man. It was probably one of the most times in my life I felt the most proud. And so I put a lot of work into building that business, and I did all of it uh, with the help of my partner's money. He did he did a few a little bit of construction inside of it, but I built the business. Not good. I did not build the business. I I, I messed up more things than you can even fathom. Which why that's why I understand now when companies come to me or business owners work with me, they understand that like I've already made all these damn mistakes, dude. I've already fucked so much shit up and lost, lost so much, wasted so much money. It, like I, you know, there's not a whole lot you're going to mess up in your company that I haven't already experienced. And so let's fast forward a year. We were losing money because my dumb ass was trying to run the whole show, my show, that show. And so what happened is, one, I had left, I had stopped going to, I had stopped the meeting. I had stopped, I, I think I handed it off and then it died, I think. And, and so I left AA at that time because I went to go see Tony Robbins and I walked on fire and I thought I was a shit and I don't need AA anymore, right? My life was good. Well, um, my life really wasn't good. My, my, my partner at the time, my, my business partner walked into my office and said, hey, dude, we're negative 350 grand and I can't pay you anymore. I'm like, bro, I run the fucking business. You got to pay me. And that's the only thing I didn't have control over was the bank account. Hence why I didn't know we had $350,000 in debt. And so I stayed on for two more weeks thinking he was going to pay me in those two weeks. And, and he didn't. So I had made plans with the U-Haul place. And at midnight, I backed the U-Haul truck up to that clinic and I took 49% of the shit out of it. Me and a buddy and his girl, his one of his friends. I videoed it all. I should probably see if I can find that. I videoed it all and took inventory, made sure I wrote everything down. I also took the two money-making machines out of there, the two most money-making machines. And I had a camera installed so I could watch the front desk. And nobody knew the camera was in there except for, I think, one person, which I guess could have been my, I guess that was my partner. Obviously, he probably installed it. And so I got to see the next day when they came into work, scrambling, dude. It was like, what the hell happened in here? 
Well, then they figured it out that I came in and took everything. 49% to be clear. Because we were 50-50 partners, which by the way, don't do that either. You gotta have it one thing, you gotta have at least 51% mark majority, or or if essentially you could, you know, be overruled by that person. I didn't know any of this. And so, you know, we went through the case, we went through the um, we went through the I had to hire an attorney. He had an attorney. And ultimately, I walked away from that business with nothing. And that was hard. I also walked away with their debt. So I do need to speed this story up a little bit. Um, Let's fast forward quite a bit. Uh, So I went, like I said, went to go see Tony Robbins. And then the next, so that was in 20. I think it was in 20, oh, it was in 2018. It was in November of 2018. And after that, I struggled. Also left AA. I didn't realize that I wasn't helping other people. I was helping other people, but I wasn't helping struggling alcoholics. And that's important in this con- in this context here. You, you know, if you know anything about staying sober, you got to help other alcoholics. And I wasn't doing that. And so for the last six and a half years or so, maybe not six, five years, I don't know what the number is. I've been a dry drunk. If you don't know what that means, that means basically you have the same behaviors as you did when you were drinking without the alcohol, which does not sound like fun. And it hasn't been. It's been an absolute nightmare. And so I... I didn't, you know, I didn't have, you know, I didn't, it's not like I had a sponsor, right? Cause I wasn't going to the meetings. And so I really didn't have anybody to talk to. And it really kind of jammed me up pretty bad, actually. I joined this personal development group, was doing a little bit of coaching, consulting during that time. Not much at all, truthfully. A lot of it was free. And that's when I got on with my first plumbing company, it was in 2019. And I had success with them. Um, we moved their one of their CSRs to an inside sales position, and she crushed it. It's like a hundred. I think, it was, I think she pulled down close to three hundred grand the first ninety days. Now that was her company money, obviously, but damn, dude, to uncover three hundred thousand dollars in ninety days is dope. But it, no better feeling than to see that girl light up, right? It was cool, and so. I moved, I've worked with several trade companies, obviously, since then, and in different areas of the of the home services industry. But I never, you know, I, I've not, I'll just be honest with you. I like working with contractors, y'all just like me, got ADHD, you know, all over the place. You got a million good ideas, but can't ever figure out one. But I vibe with him. Plus, I cuss like crazy. And so that works for contractors, typically. And so as of recently, I went to, I'm just going to skip through a bunch of stuff here because I'm getting already a minute or hour and something. So I went to my... I went to my 
I am drawing a dang blank. Essentially, I oh, that's when I went and got my NLP certificate and my coaching certificate officially, hypnosis, all kinds of shit. That's what all that shit is on my back wall right there, part of it. And so, you know, I started working with people, coaching people. Not much, though. Not much, because I could never really figure out my niche, necessarily. Um, but then when I got that, when I started working at that first plumbing company, that was it was game over. Like, I loved working with contractors. So, you know, the last few years, several years, four or five years, I have not been going to AA until recently. Well, that dry drunk thing I mentioned, you create a lot of wreckage during that time. I, you know, eventually I became a recluse. I'll be completely transparent with you. Like, I, I started not wanting to leave my house. I started, you know, just, it was just almost incestual. Like, I, my wife and I were together all the time, and then the damn pandemic hit. Really with each other all the time now. And so, and I was still working with the plumbing company at that time. And... When 2020 hit, I did 75 hard for the first time with some of my buddies, and we we finished it, and it was a great experience, and that was the first time I did it. I've done it twice, but I want to skip to where where we were at was like back in November, because I was still struggling, and I've been struggling. Like, I mean, like internal struggle has been real. And it's because I didn't have any guidance for my alcoholism because I was convinced, I convinced myself, I don't need AA. I'm not saying I am an alcoholic. That's bullshit. I'm not saying it. I, if you say I am anything, it comes true. And that is really true. But that was my ego talking and saying, hey, you just not, you don't need to go back there. What, you don't, what do they have for you? You got Tony Robbins, dude. And so the last few years have been an absolute struggle. It seems like I get something going and I fuck it up. I get something going and I fuck it up. And it's just been this vicious cycle. And I say I fuck it up because unless unless you're working with another alcoholic, you're going to keep fucking up. And I just didn't realize it. I just did not realize it. I did not drink. I did not drink. And I still have not drank. And I don't have any, like I have zero, zero desire to pick up a drink. And, but my life has become unmanageable due to living like a dry drunk. And I'll tell you folks for, you know, for what it's worth, I would not suggest going my route because it's been a fucking nightmare. Internally, those voices that you fight, that resistance that you fight when you don't want to do something, I, I just mean, you fact, I can't, like, I don't know how to explain it other than I was running the show because I was egotistical and I thought I knew more than everybody else. And I didn't know more than anybody else or everybody else. 
So I met a guy named Eric Obramp. I've mentioned him multiple times on here because that guy ultimately saved my ass. Right. I was at, at RoofCon back in October, November, and he said, um, I was telling him the I am stuff. And he's like, I get that. But he said, dude, you've got a lot of influence. You got this podcast, you got a book out. Like, you should, you need to give, like, maybe this is not about you, Corey. Maybe it's about the other alcoholic that you're not helping. And I was like, shit. I was like, you're right, Eric. You're absolutely right. And I didn't want to hear that because I didn't want to go back to AA. I swore off AA. And so I came back in and and what's happened has been pretty, pretty incredible. Um, I'm not through the woods for sure, because there's a lot of stuff I got to clean up. We got audited in 2020. Jesus Christ, by the IRS, it was a disaster. Um, we got behind on our house. I had to apply for this program that to, to to pay for our house for a year so we could keep it. It's been it's been really hard. And it's all because of me. Because my dumb ass left AA. And really, it wasn't have anything to do with AA. It really had it also has to do with my relationship with my, you know, go with God which I had none when I got back in here. And so now, fast forward, um, I, I guess it was right four months ago, I paired up with this, this jackass. And he had a really cool software. I'm sure you can go back and listen to it. I had, I had him on the show. I'm not going to say his name because it pisses me off. But I brought a bunch of people. I've got a lot of big relationships and important relationships to me, very important relationships to me that are fairly good sized people in, in the home services industry. Not fairly. They're the biggest people in home services. And I've worked. I've built these relationships because, you know, I I like people, you know, and I, I go to a lot of big events and usually I know the people that are speaking. And by default, I've come on to the you know plumbing and HVAC scene pretty hard. I joined the PHCC. I'm the chairperson for the auxiliary committee. I'll tell you that egotistically. I think it's it. And you see that little toilet right there. So they gave me that last summer the golden toilet award. And I'm telling you, like when I accepted that award, I felt like the biggest fraud because I'd only been i had been a member of the PHCC for three days. But when I went into that event, uh, it was a it was like a summer outing. You do stuff together and you build sandcastles and whatever. And I played all out because I didn't have anything to lose. I just played out. I just gave it everything that I had, and I didn't ask for a damn thing from anybody. And so they gave me. So they gave me that award. Um, and it was one of the coolest things that happened, to be honest.
it was probably the most special thing, you know, that anybody had ever given me like that. Like, I'd never been. Damn it. But I didn't really see that coming, to be honest. They gave me that award, and I was so grateful. And, you know, but it's still been a struggle, right? It's still been a struggle. I felt like a fraud getting that damn award because I'd, you know, been a member for three days. But what, you know, what can you do? I, I don't know. But it was, um, it was really cool. And, you know, the PHCC has been, it's been great. Um, and I've met a lot of crazy, like really, really amazing people. And so, you know, that was about the time. I think my book had just, yeah, my book came out when I spoke at PodFest last time. I've spoken at PodFest four times now. I left all that out. But anyway, I released my book when I spoke at PodFest, uh, I guess, in 2022, I guess. Yeah. So last year. And it hit number one, which doesn't mean a damn thing. It doesn't mean a damn thing. It just means that the book hit number one. Who cares? Right, you don't make any money on a book, just by the way. Um, but you know, I I've still struggled. I've still struggled with life. I've struggled with the things that I struggled with when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, and that's a really tough thing to have to talk about. Um, because that struggle is real. And the internal struggle that you go through before you get sober, or if you do take my dumbass route after you get sober, it's a nightmare. It's a fucking nightmare. And I don't recommend anybody go through that. I don't recommend anybody go through that because it is not the route to go. Because what happens is you get caught up in your head. You tell yourself all these things. You start believing it. And I've screwed up more deals. Because of my dumbass ego or my, you name it, right? It's ridiculous. The truth of the matter is, um, you know, I, I need to get my ass right. I needed to get back into AA. And so when I did, you know, things begin to change. And then they, you know, it's kind of been an iteration. I've had some good things happen. I've had some shit things happen. But I got my relationship back with God, and that's important. And so if you've taken anything away from this, I'll, I'll say this. You know, if you are struggling, the hardest thing I've had to do this time is pick up the phone. Pick up the phone to call anybody. Um, it's been It's been hard. It's been really hard. It's been really hard trying to get through this thing. And again, I don't even have, I, I didn't drink. So that sounds strange. But if you are an alcoholic, guess what? Your brain's not going to change. You're still going to think like an alcoholic, whether you're drinking or not. And, you know, if you know somebody that's struggling, you need to share this with them because, you know, it can save, her, save their life. And so yesterday, you know, I was sitting here sponsoring myself like a moron because I've been through several sponsors. 
throughout this last few months. Because I couldn't, I mean, I've been, like I said, I've been sober for a while. It's really hard to find somebody, first of all, has got that much time. And second of all, like, they think you're doing great. And of course, I act like I was doing great. You know, I don't want people to know I'm struggling. I don't like talking about this shit. I don't like exposing the fact that I've struggled. But you know what? I don't give a shit anymore. Because at the end of the day, I've struggled because I have not been honest about the struggle. I haven't been transparent about the struggle. And it sucks. I can tell you that right now. So I was sitting last night and and this dude was chairing the meeting. And he said, hey, if you're sponsoring yourself, your sponsor is a fucking idiot. And, you know, I've got my relationship back with God. And that just spoke to me, Corey, you need to take your fucking ass up there and talk to this dude. And I did. And quite frankly, probably, probably, I've known this guy forever, but like, I don't know, know him. And he's, you know, I, I won't go into the description. I'm not trying to break anybody's anonymity here. Um, and I wouldn't do that. But God presented this situation for me to to work with this dude. And so I'm going to do that. And and ultimately, you know, I got a couple of sponsees that I'm working with. And I and that that changed that start to change things for me. And I'm starting to get back the things that. That, you know, that I lost, so to speak, or that I let go, which was a lot of crap that I'm not even about to get into all that shit. Been on this thing for over an hour and I've got to get to go. I got to get to a meeting myself. And so I thought I would share this story with you just to see. Um, I just thought it was time to kind of give you a look into my into my life, into some of the struggles that I've gone through. Because it's not fun. Um, it's really not fun. And if you know somebody that's struggling, you should share this show with them. Uh, because maybe it'll help. Them. You never know. Well, look, I appreciate you hanging in with me this long. And yeah, it's been an emotional day. I really didn't want to do this podcast. I will be honest with you. And I started out strong. And damn toilet back there broke me. And then it just went downhill from there. But I do have to get rocking and rolling. I appreciate you hanging in here for this long. If you do know somebody struggling, share the show. We'll see you on the other side. Thank you for tuning into the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at CoreyBarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.